Hey everybody, welcome to the Mob Mentality Podcast. This is the podcast that is made for moms of busy babies that are just looking to take their life, mental and physical health to the next level. So I'm super excited to welcome Andrea Johnson with us today. She is a transformational leadership coach. And we are going to dive into all kinds of a wealth of knowledge, I feel like, today. Welcome. Thanks, Aisha. I'm excited to be here. That's going to be great. So if you wouldn't even mind starting off telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today. Well, I'm going to have to make it really short because I could be here all day long. I've been around the block a few times, but as a transformational leadership coach, what that basically means is that I help other women, especially, that's my focus, figure out how to stand in their own values and their own understanding of themselves and actually change the culture that they're in by learning how to think critically, create imaginatively, and lead effectively. And I came to that after many years of, uh, and maybe we'll get into ages later, but uh, I got into that because I played by all the rules. I did everything that society and my culture and my family system all told me I was supposed to do, and I was never, ever happy. I was never satisfied. I suffered from bulimia and depression. I had so many um, true self-image issues. And I just kind of doubled down and did more and more. And I mean, if you're talking to mothers of busy babies, (laughs) I'm an adoptive mother of a very busy baby. And I adopted him when I was 42 because I went through early menopause. And so, yeah. And then um, if you know anything about ADHD, it's genetic and it runs in families. And as far as I know, we don't have it in our family. But my son, who is now 14 and a half, ninth grader, just started high school, he, oh gosh. Yes. So he we characterized him as a very busy baby. And so much of what we learn in our childhood is how we parent. And I love your message because I think it's really important for moms to understand that they get to parent and be themselves the way they were designed to do it. So I'm excited to kind of get into a little bit of what we have here. Um, my story includes, like we've discussed, um, like before we got ready, as we were getting ready for this, my story includes gastric bypass surgery because I shared again, bulimia and depression. It includes grief. I lost my mother to 17 year breast cancer um, fight. Mm-hmm. It includes um, lots of church hurt. I'm a pastor's wife um, with lots of healing, but it also includes the fact that I spent 23 years in university medical systems as a, an administrator and operations director. And I, at one point I was managing over 25 people. And I realized that I don't want to manage people. And I don't mean I don't want to supervise or help people. I mean, manage, literally the definition, is keep the status quo. And I don't want to do that. I'm interested in growth and development. And when you're in a really large, I was in two very large universities, very well-respected medical schools. And when you're in a system like that, there's only so much you can do. And because they just, they need for the system to function better. And I had to realize that's not for me. And so I went out on my own. I've been self-employed for two years. I work specifically individually, privately with and in group coaching with women, but I also work locally with pretty much women owned and organized and run teams where I help them with communication and team building and that kind of thing. So that's sort of a large nutshell. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm like, I can just pick that apart in so many ways. Go for it. What I want to even start with is how you were raised. You said that you were 
built to fit into this mold. Mm-hmm. And he said, I feel like that happens to a lot of us. It's like, this is the way that it's supposed to go, how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to behave. And that's something even I personally dealt with, even branching out onto my own, even from a business perspective. Like I was not raised to do that. Like being an entrepreneur is something that is very uncomfortable and unknown. <laughs> And I was brought up to be like, we want security. We want to make sure that we have this retirement plan. I'm like, well, first of all, I don't feel like those things really exist very very much anymore, no matter what area you're in. But based a lot of things like coming from my family, I'm like, oh, you know, is this, are you sure this is what you want to be doing? And so how did that impact you and even possibly lead to some of the uh, health issues that you even dealt with? So I want to say as a disclaimer from the very beginning that there are plenty of people who have very dysfunctional and toxic families and however we can help them, male or female, get out of those systems is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Mine from the outside did not look that way and I would not consider my family system to be toxic at all. So I want to make sure that that is a disclaimer. The simple fact that you and I have that exact same, we must have security, we must, you know, X, Y, Z. I started off my college career thinking I was going to be a nursing major because my very practical and, you know, father, who was a pastor and a missionary, not much money involved in either of those, wanted me to have a really secure career. He wanted to do what was best for me. So what we need to recognize is that every single one of us, unless we're a narcissist, does the best that we can with what we have when we have it. So as we grow, we recognize, oh, that's not the best for me, or that's not the, I I know better now, right? So from that perspective, I can look back and say, not only was I raised with that exact same security piece, but I was also raised that hard work is the only way to actually succeed, which... (laughs) Sorry, you're in the entrepreneurial space. It's like, yes, we work hard, but that's just totally different. So another piece is welcome to the club. I don't know how long you've been an entrepreneur, but um, for me, it's been for sure full-time two years. But another piece is depending on your religious or non-religious affiliation, there are things associated with that. I was raised in, like I said, I'm a missionary and pastor's kid from a very strong evangelical community where even as missionaries, it was like my mother was so very, very strong. Oh, my parent, my family's also from the South. Okay. So you put all of those. (laughs) Okay. So you put all of those things together and you've got a very clear system in which women are supposed to function. And this is where me stepping outside of that continuum or that box has been challenging. And I thought my I thought my family would disown me. It turns out my family doesn't really care. They just want to know I'm happy. (laughs) And, um, but at the same time, it means that I'm stepping away from things that I, you know, I will be, here we go with the age. I will be 57 next week. Oh, happy early birthday. Thank you. So it wasn't until I really hit 50 that I realized all the incongruence in my life was due to several things, but not the least of which is all of my core values, who, what, the things that made me a person and the things that I valued were in opposition to all of the systems that I had doubled down on and put myself in. And, you know, again, my, my mom was super strong and she figured out how to flourish in that system. 
And overseas, she volunteered for the American Red Cross because we were we were in Korea, which is it, at the time was a huge military presence. So she volunteered at the American Red Cross, worked her way up to be head of all the volunteers for Asia and the Pacific. If you know anything about military, she was at the level of a GS-13, which I think is about a colonel, a light colonel maybe. Wow. Um, but she could not be paid because no one else in our mission was able to be paid. So my mother could have been making nearly a colonel's salary because she had top secret clearance. She was taking the head of NATO to the DMZ. She was doing all of these things. And then she was also our project manager for taking five houses and converting them into 16 townhomes. That's not an easy feat, right? No. This is a woman who went to 14 different colleges and universities while she put my dad through school and raised two daughters and still graduated cum laude and still did all of these things inside that system. When they left Korea and came home in 89 or 80, yeah, something like that, late 80s, she went to work as an administrative assistant. Big shift there. She Now, she found value in her work, mm -hmm. and she ended up working for the Mission Sending Agency, which also was very much mission-oriented for her. But I would be lying if I said I didn't have plenty of anger about how I watched her get shut down, about how she kept getting passed over for um, promotions when other people got them. And it was all because she was playing inside that those that container. And she had a phrase that she kept saying to me, and, and not long before we lost her, um, I started going, we're not but maybe 80 miles from where they live in central Virginia. They're in Richmond and we're in Charlottesville. And I would go over and spend the weekends because she was in hospice. And so I would just, anytime I could spend, and it would get to where we would just sit knee to knee and she would say, what else can I tell you? You know? And right. yeah. And I- if I cry, I apologize because it's still seven years later, it's still, or six years later, um, it's still kind of raw sometimes because I watched this woman who I'd been seen as so strong and then take this on as like not being able to do her thing, look at me and say, Andrea, fly, be free, be you. And so finally at the age of 50, I was like, I think I might, I think I just yeah. might, you know? <laughs> so yes. that was, Fighting that conditioning that we have is very, it, I, it happens to me every day, literally every day. But that, if that sounds at all familiar, even without the missionary kid stuff, that's what I think so many of us are dealing with in all that conditioning that we're raised with. It just feels normal. It just feels natural. And breaking mm -hmm. out is very hard. It is hard. What was that like aha moment for you? That you're like, okay, I think I might. It's like, this needs to happen. Like, I need to do something now. Um. Two things. Number one, like I said, I was in the university medical system for a really long time. And first it was using my mother, losing my mother, and just kind of processing that grief and realizing I didn't want to end up like that. I didn't want to end up not making my mark. I mean, she made a mark on plenty of people. She was like a bottle of champagne. You know, if she walked in the room, everyone would be like, Judy, you know. So she made her mark, but it wasn't that I, and I even, I don't even need to leave a legacy. It's just, I don't, I don't want to live with any regrets, but I took a promotion at, I pushed to have a promotion at my job and, you know, I'm in a very patriarchal system in a university hierarchical stuff. And my boss is six foot two, blonde hair, blue eyed MBA, male. And um, when I had been doing the work, I asked him for the, the promotion and he said, after back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And he said, 
all right, we can give you the promotion, but we can't give you a raise. Why? Because I've been doing the work. Well, other people have been doing the work, the, the, had the job title longer than you. And if we do that, then you'll be making the same as them. And it looks like we're giving you a raise when they've already done the work. I'm like, but I've been doing the work for two years, which is why we asked for the raise. I mean, for the promotion. And it, I just was stonewalled. And yes. I literally drove home and said, and I called my husband on the phone, like screaming. <laughs> Emotionally charged. Yes. I said, this is the last time anybody is ever going to tell me how much I can and cannot make. Mm-hmm. Is it? And it's not even about the money, Seisha. Yes. It's about you have control over me. I know. Uh-uh. And yeah. I literally sat across the desk from my boss and I said, you know, this is not my future. And that was like the beginning of he knew I was leaving. And even when I did a year later, he couldn't breathe (laughs) because I was doing all the work and he had to take that on, you know? So that was a huge aha moment for me. Yes, that is huge. I'm sure you faced that working with a lot of other women that kind of hit that same type of moment that this is not okay. Yes. Um, Here's the deal though. A lot of women who hit that moment don't actually need me as much as the ones who are just depressed and can't figure out that they need to like hit that spot. Yes. You know, what do you tell them? The ones that they feel it, like they feel that something's off or they need to move, but they're so scared and it's so uncomfortable. Mm. What, what's some things that you would tell them advice? Well, the clients that I work with, a lot of them are millennials and in new to mid supervisory positions. And then I work with some that are like CEO level. Those are the ones who've already gotten there. And so we're just coaching them further. But the ones that are brand new, part of what I do is I mentioned earlier, it was core values for the simple fact that, um, I don't know if you know this about the secret service, but at the risk of being a little bit pedantic, some people in the audience may not know, their primary job was not necessarily protecting the elected officials in our country. The primary objective of the Secret Service was to make sure we didn't have counterfeiters in our currency. And the best way to know when you have a counterfeit bill is to know what the real one looks like. And so Mm -hmm. cashiers are taught this, right? They're taught certain things to look for certain things in a real $50 or $100 bill to make sure that what they've got in their hands is real. This is, it's no different with us. The best way to know when something doesn't work for us is to find out who we are. And so I literally walk all of my clients through an exercise and some coaching to find out what their core values are. Because when they know who they are, then they've got their boundaries defined. Then they've got their relationships defined. Then they have, then they, they don't need to be defensive about things. It's all of a sudden there's this freedom to not be angry about people. It's just like, eh, that's not my thing, you know? And yes. yeah, so that's really honestly where I start. And it took me a while. I started from the outside and worked in. I started with intentional optimism and worked into core values. So intentional optimism, and I call myself the intentional optimist, Yes, is literally the way we live out our core values. It is a lifestyle. It is a professional and personal growth lifestyle. So yeah. So when we have our core values, then we know how to live them out in a way that is gracious and kind and all those things that people, you know, we said we're in this little box we can be all those things and be ourselves at the same time. Yes. We don't have to be, we don't have to be rude. We don't have to be like, this is a boundary, right? We don't have to do any of that because the boundaries of my house are very clear. If somebody walks up to my doorstep, they don't just open the door, they knock. So when people know who we are, 
they don't just barge down the door. And if they do, we're like, oh, I 911, right? It's like, I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. But when people walk onto my property, they I've got stuff planted by the road. So they walk on the inside and I'm okay with that, but I know they're there, right? So right. it's like just kind of understanding who we are and where I end and you begin makes all the difference. I love that. Where I am. And it's like when people are coming into your space, yeah. your proximity. So what is... What's it? What's an exercise? What is one of those first steps? If somebody like, I have no idea what my values are. Like, <laughs> I know one or two, but like, other than that, like, I have no idea. What are some things that you help have them do in order to begin to discover what those values are? And like, what does that even mean? Well, I love this question uh, because I have an entire course and I'm developing and right now I'm in alpha testing for a hybrid course where I do coaching along with the d- digital course. Oh, that's great. The, the very first thing I tell you is what, or ask you is what pisses you off, mm-hmm. right? Because that is, granted, there are some things that, that do that and make us angry that are just, I don't know, they just might be like, this is common sense or common courtesy. But when you look back throughout your life and you see the things, the times in your life where you were the most unhappy, the times in your life where you were, you got angry about the most things, it, that tends to be a core value that is being disrespected or not honored or stepped on or in conflict with the the value that we're trying to live out in our lives. So and I'm happy to provide a one sheet or like a two sheet freebie for everybody oh, to walk through the exercise. I'll I'll share that with you afterwards. And Thanks. um I'll share like a code where they can just like they can just it. yeah that's because great. Some people can just take this one sheet and do it right? They can just figure it out. Some people need that digital course to walk them through. And then others still need, I'm surprised about 50% of my clients need the help. But the very first thing I do is I have you walk through, if somebody else were going to say, these are the five things that I think about you when I think of you. It's like, what are the five words that somebody might use to describe you? That's where we start with about five or eight people. And you just make this giant list. This is brain dump time, right? First, you oh, look I use that term. It. I love it. Yes, call it brain so, dumping all the time. Yeah. So I call it everything but the kitchen sink, right? We're, we're like dumping all these words onto paper, basically with a list of people. For, for example, if you're married or if your parents are alive or if you have siblings or people that you work closely with, people that know you well and like you, um, maybe even people that don't like you, what is the word that, you know, three or four words that they would use to describe you? And then you'll start to see some patterns and that's the other pieces. Like we start looking for patterns and we start looking for commonalities. Um, For me, my top three are freedom, authenticity, and belonging. And when you hear that, a lot of people hear the word freedom and and then we – we, we narrow it down because we go with like 10 and then we narrow it down after we look at how they show up in your life and like where they might get stomped on or where they might really bring you a lot of joy. And then we narrow it down to like the primary and the secondary, like my house and my yard. And for me, people, when I say freedom, people think, uh, she's all about like, she's probably, um, one of those don't tread on me kind of people. I'm like, mm, it's much deeper than that yes. for me. It's do not even remotely try to tell me what to think, right? It's that kind of freedom. It's freedom at the cellular level. Mm-hmm. And so as a child, when you look at me as, as a three-year-old and saying, 
I can do this. Leave me alone. Let me do my thing and stop telling me what to do. And literally using the phrase, you're not the boss of me. That's the kind of freedom I need. But then the authenticity of being willing to be myself and to share my story and to say, yeah, I weighed 310 pounds and I had gastric bypass surgery and I was, I had infertility issues. So I adopted my son, all of these things. My mother used to say, why are you airing your dirty laundry? I'm like, because somebody needs to hear it. Yes. So it's that authenticity but for the longest time, I thought my word was community. I thought that was what it was. But it turns out, Seisha, it was belonging. And it's not so much that I need to belong. It's that I need other people to feel like they belong. And it's a connectedness. So when we know those, then I know how to show up, right? I show up with wanting to know, how do you pronounce your name? Because I heard somebody say it, and it's not like I expected. And it just all of those things become how that I take my intentional optimism tenets and live those, live my core values of freedom and authenticity and belonging out on a daily basis, which not only gives me satisfaction and brings me joy and gives me confidence and helps me maintain 180 some odd pound weight loss and helps me to exercise and helps me to love my son who can be very difficult at 14 and a half because boy, now does he know how to talk back. If you think yes. when they're little, you can just wait. But <laughs> it helps me do that with grace and to be kind and not need to be defensive about any of it. What does your day look like because you know your core values? Oh, well, it starts with my calendar. <laughs> Um, it starts with I'm my like, calendar. We're clicking on so many levels here. I know. Is one conversation going to be enough? Um, so it starts with my calendar. And as an entrepreneur and with coaching clients and workshops, and I have my own podcast, doing all of those things, I have to be very careful. Plus, my husband is a pastor. So Sundays are pretty much gone for me, right? So I mark off and block off Monday and Friday. Now, I'll do things and I'll do work. Those are either a day off or they are a, um, like even today, I'm recording this on a Friday, right? Yes. Um, but it's for me, right? This is not, I'm not, I have no meetings with clients. Um, but because of this, I actually took, yesterday, I took more off time off than I thought. But as far as my day is concerned, the other things, I don't start until 10 o'clock. Because right. for me, I know I need my morning journaling time. And I do my Bible study. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I want to be prepared. I want to make sure that I can do all of the things that get me ready. I exercise and I plan my day out. So for me, starting anything before 10 o'clock, mm, not usually going to happen <laughs> unless it's a, unless I can just adjust my schedule. But that's how I start protecting my time because then I can get my brain ready and I'm ready to go for the day. Yeah. And it's a that's what's so crazy is like, like I don't do anything before 10 o'clock, but I actually do all these things for myself before 10 o'clock. Right. So we wait till 10 o'clock before we're actually giving of ourselves to others. Yes. Well, it's that whole fill the cup first and then you have the overflow. Mm -hmm. But it's also a matter of understanding who my customers are. I'm a customer. <laughs> I am one of my customers and I need to make sure that I have what I need. So I don't do outward facing stuff before 10 unless I have to. And I try not to do outward facing stuff after 4 p.m. Mostly for your benefit, because after 4 p.m., um, I got nothing left in the tank. <laughs> so because it's a lot. Yeah. And I think it's even important for women, especially to 
to acknowledge that. It's like we are constantly wanting to give of ourselves and help others. I think just naturally we're very much caregivers and helpers. And every time it's like we're going, I feel like conflicted in this way, right? It's like every time, same way, I love being of service to other people. It makes me feel really good, like having connection, giving to other people, but then also knowing it's like, okay, I need to have a shutdown moment. Like I need to be able to say, wait, that's enough. Like now it's time for me to be able to reset, refuel myself instead of just constantly give, give, give. So I love that it's like you have this time frame that's like, I'm going to give you my best everything that I have from 10 to four. And then after that, like, I'm going to take some time for these other values, these other people that really matter and need my attention as well. Mm -hmm. Then I think one huge thing would be if women can actually take that time and especially ones that own businesses, because this is something that I know I even personally struggle with is like the messages and the communication and the bit, like if there's always things to do, it's always coming in. And being able to say, okay, that's enough of that. Now, my kids, my husband, Mm -hmm. these people need me and these things need to wait. Yeah. And part of that is understanding what your priorities are because your core values are, and that's the other thing I work with people understanding that they're inside. They're not outside. And a lot of times businesses will talk about values and those are almost outside. Like if it's outside of myself, then -hmm. it's something I have to give and I have to meet an expectation outside of myself. But if it's inside of myself, then it's natural and it comes naturally. And so I want to live my values with my family as well as with my customers and with myself. So it becomes this lovely Venn diagram of where the sweet spot is Mm -hmm. on how we live. And just knowing that my clients don't usually respond to me within eight hours. Why should I have to respond within eight hours? You know, just giving yourself permission to be a human, giving yourself permission to not be perfect. And I think that's part of it is we live in a society where we're told that we have to be perfect and understanding that failure is always a teacher and experience is a teacher, but evaluated experience is the best teacher. So if something doesn't work, look back. Because I didn't always have the schedule. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't right. always have these practices. I'm really uh, a fan, a big fan of good habits. I'm a big fan of getting into rhythms. I, I use that terminology a lot because I think it's important for us. Everything, sorry, everything in our lives functions on rhythms. We as women have a cycle of a rhythm that we function on. The sun, you know, quote unquote, goes up and down, right? Everything, the seasons, the tide, it's all on rhythms. And if we're willing to say, I have a rhythm. And for me, it's like, I get up at 520 and I go, 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 go. And by four o'clock, there's nothing left. And I still have to cook dinner. And I still have to, and I still have to make sure that everybody has decent conversation and nobody kills each other. And you know, all those kinds of things in your home, which I think every mom can, especially at work, any working mom can identify with. Then I have to be willing to say, there's only so much in the battery and I, I got to plug in and I got to recharge. And I think that's the part that we just have to be willing to look at. And I love standing with other women while they look in the mirror and say, oh, no, I have to change this. Or, oh, no, I haven't been true to myself in this area. And a lot of times, Seisha, it's a very hard look. You know, we look at, yeah, right. We, we look in that. You're a trainer, right? You know, women, some of us don't want to stand in front of the mirror in our bathing suit or underwear because we don't like our bodies, what we see reflected back. 
but being able to stand there with another woman and look into the mirror of who they have allowed themselves to be molded into and how it doesn't match who they really are and just be there and let them cry and let them decide to change. That's a privilege for me because other people did that for me. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the work that I do. That's why I do it. That's what I want to do and how I like to help women. So impactful. I can only imagine those huge breakthroughs that it's you've had cool. and how incredible it feels to be able to just be part of that. It, it's a real privilege, you know, and people will say, I'm so sorry for crying. I'm like, here's the tissue box. It's not bothering me. Um, exactly. We, we, and just, you know, being able to understand that our emotions just blow through, it's just, you know, a wave, let it go. And, and as soon as it does, it's like a, our body's like a, re a pressure release valve and just move on. We don't, yes. we don't need to criminalize crying anymore. There is crying in baseball, right? If you know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We've been told like, no. And I think that's even something we said. It's like when you're, when you're sitting there fighting and you're working for this promotion and it's like, especially I feel like we've had a lot of progress, but even looking at, it's like, you know, we have to be these strong women and always have it together and be like, it's okay to cry. I literally just even posted something this morning and share with people. Like I had my moment and then I'm like, okay, like, what are we going to do about it? Like what's next? Because we can acknowledge it, but then we can also, we have the power. Everything exists within us to be able to move forward mm -hmm. and to come out on top yeah. of our own life. Absolutely. And I used to not want to cry. Like I didn't want to sit in my boss's office and cry. <laughs> and finally I'm like, you know what? It makes him really uncomfortable. Here they come. And because I thought, this is, because I'm going to just be me. And if he doesn't want a woman crying in his office, he's free to leave, right? It's like, my, I'm planted here in the chair. And, mm -hmm. and I just got to the point where I, I think by the time, you know, when I told him I was leaving and he said, wait, hang on, I can't breathe. By the time that, ha you know, here's we got the tissues. Yeah, here's the tissues. <laughs> um, it, it, by the time he stood up and he gave me a big hug and I'm, I don't mind that kind of thing. It was not, it was not inappropriate. He yeah. gave a big hug and he said, you're going to go do what you're built to do. And I said, yeah. Right. Because I had been true enough to myself to be able to say that. But a lot of women just do not have that. They don't have the, the, the system around them. They don't have the, the, the family or even they may not even have been told. And young women today, especially I see my niece who's in her you know early. They're about to be 30. And then I have another niece who's in her early 30s. And it, I see them trying to just meet all of these standards. And I just want to say, you don't you don't have to have all the perfect pictures. My baby book for my son is still up there with nothing in it. And um, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm there with you. Yeah. And I'm like, am I ever going to put anything in this? We spent a lot of money on it. But you don't have to meet those standards. You need to meet your own standards. And mm -hmm. it is a privilege to help you figure out what those standards are because I promise you, your standards are easy to meet. And it doesn't mean they're low. It means they're yours. It, and it doesn't mean that, you know, there's a standard here for society and a standard here for us. What it means is there's a standard over here for society and a standard over here for me. And as long as I'm facing in the proper direction, everybody's going to see me grow and everybody's going to see me the way I need to be seen. And I think it's just a whole perspective shift for women and understanding that we're still paid at 70%. You know, I'm going to get into all that, you know, <laughs> I'm yeah. happy to get into all that patriarchy stuff. There's a lot of, it's, this is a great world of DEI inclusion or inclusion and female power and all that stuff, but just understanding that we're just not there yet. 
And every single person makes a difference. And as women, if we link arms, we can actually go farther rather than faster. And yes. I think um, that's that's kind of the key. I like that a lot. Further rather than faster, because we all want things just to be fast. And I think that if we are able to take a step back, take a deep breath yeah. and sit and acknowledge where we're at, what we need just during this phase of life, because mm. things change. Yeah. Rhythm. What season? Yes. I mean, this is where we're at right now and be in the present moment, be able to say that, you know, this is where we am. Everybody else will benefit. Right. Right. I love where can, so where can we connect with you? Where are, can you tell us, you know, what your links are, website, where we can get this awesome freebie to get started on our values? Sure. I will share with you the link to put in your show notes for the freebie. And oh. I, uh, but you can find me at theintentionaloptimist.com. And it has, everything is in there. Um, my podcast for the last three years has been Intentional Optimists, Unconventional Leaders, and as of Monday, the 28th of August, is getting rebranded. And by the time this comes out, you will be able to subscribe to Stand Tall and Own It. It'll be in the same RSS feed, so you'll get all 140 back episodes where I've interviewed over 75 amazing female leaders and learned a lot from their stories. And by doing all of that work, I'm now able to say, it's time to stand tall and own it. I'm I'm 5'1", and I have a big personality, and it's time to just say, here we go, and uh, just be able to encourage other women to do that. But I'm on social media pretty much everywhere, and uh, you can find me. It's not not hard. I'm excited. Thank you so much for being with us today. And your goals right there, your goals for me. I cannot wait till I have 140 episode guests in. It'll be amazing. <laughs> so half of that was me and half of that was guests, but it's yeah. there and it's possible. And it took about three years and, you know, it's it, just stick to it. And if you ever need encouragement, you know where to find it. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much. Sure.